Well, hello from Maui, Hawaii. This is the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. My name is Michael Benner, and uh, we're live on this uh, 14th day of June. It's uh, 1 o'clock on the west coast of the United States and 4 in the east. Here in Maui, it's just a little bit after 10 in the morning. And so uh, we're settling in for a beautiful Sunday. And hope you're feeling well and uh, looking forward to our topic of the day, which is about waking up. It's about awareness. It's about consciousness. It's about wisdom. It's about truth. But uh, the word I'm going to use to really contain all of those is awareness. We're going to talk about three different stages of awareness. The common stage where the vast majority of humanity is will begin there with the first stage. What constitutes waking up to the second stage? Talk about that. Many of you are already there. And then what does it take to get to the third stage of awareness or enlightenment uh, with the model that I'm going to describe to you today? And some of you are probably already in that level as well, but we're going to offer you a, a, a paradigm, a, a model, uh, three steps or stages of waking up to the reality, capital R, or truth, capital T, of the life around you, and um, that there's certainly more going on than the apparently separated forms, uh, objects and events in your life, that how you look at it and who you are is much more significant than what you seem to be surrounded by. So a lot of you I know are on board with these concepts. Uh, you love personal and spiritual development, and that's why you're here. Before we uh, begin, I want to thank you and encourage you to continue to share these programs and the newsletter that brings you here with your friends. Uh, this is the only way to do it. You know, there's a lot of people that you know who are looking for this kind of material. They don't want to join some organization. They've pretty much had it with joining. Uh, they don't want to follow any particular guru or teacher. I can certainly relate to that myself. <clears throat> and, you know, my background is that of a journalist. I'm, I'm a news guy that 25 or 30 years ago stumbled on to a very, very big news story, which has to do with, has everything to do with human potential and spiritual potential and who we are as consciousness, who we are uh, as awareness and why we think and feel and act the way we do, and how to better understand ourselves and manage ourselves. And my goodness, now, more than ever, it's essential that we get a better and better sense, an unfolding sense of our unique individuality, but also our relationship to all other things. Uh, for economic reasons, if, if nothing else, 
but we're in a time of great change, great revolution. My goodness, look what's happening in Iran. It's as if uh, the, the second revolution is coming. Um, but this time, instead of replacing the Shah with the Ayatollah, maybe they'll re- replace their half-baked democracy with a, a real democracy. And, and one of their own choosing, not one imposed by George Bush and the Pentagon. But it's very exciting. A lot of the people in the streets of Iran are young women and men who have been to the United States. They've been educated in American colleges and universities. I'd like to think some number of them even heard my talk show (laughs) in Los Angeles. And it awakens something inside them that is being awakened inside you. It's not like we're really educating people so much as, again, our theme for the day, waking them up to a truth, a longing that all of us have within us. And to honor that longing is part of our topic today. So anything you can do to connect us with people in your sphere of influence who are looking for this kind of information without joining a church or a cult or following some central authority figure, uh, bowing down to anybody, but who want to join this this circle of wisdom seekers, of uh, truth seekers, of those people who just cannot rest without wanting to know more and more about reality from your particular point of view as a unique individual, but then also how that harmonizes toward a greater understanding of our relationship to all things. Dealing with that paradox of the one and the many, of unity and diversity, of spirit and a world of physical, dense, material form. Finding our place in that paradox is a large part of what this class is about every Sunday afternoon. Again, each of these is available by replay, and so you can forward programs on the replay page, on the web teleconference archive page. Just go to theagelesswisdom.com. Remember the T-H-E, the W's dot, theagelesswisdom.com. Click on homepage to go inside or subscribe to the newsletter on that first splash page. And then when you go inside on the home page, you'll see all these navigation links on the left side. Choose the one that says Web Teleconference, and there's all the programs we've ever done, about 65 or 70 of them now, along with a link to forward any one of them uh, to somebody that you know that's really looking for this kind of stuff. And I just cannot emphasize strongly enough how important that is. Every newsletter you get has a link at the very bottom that makes it really easy for you to forward the newsletter to somebody that, again, you think is interested. If somebody's found their way and they're happy being who they are and uh, they're not interested in looking at truth or exploring the longing in their heart, um, well, fine, that's okay. I'm not asking you to sell anything, right? Got nothing to sell here. But you know people, I know you know people who want more, who have this longing inside, this 
urge to be so much more and to have the the level of peace and contentment that goes with a better understanding of who you are and what you're for. What an incredible gift to be able to, to give to people. So use the link at the very bottom of the newsletter that you get to forward the newsletter. You can forward the programs for free, and we really, really value that. And if you like what you hear on this webinar, remember we have a sister site with premium audio programs. The first six are free, and then after that, $0.99 cents a program. These are much higher fidelity. They're recorded studio quality. Uh, there's two of us, Steve and I, my partner for many, many years, Steve Snyder, who is a corporate CEO trainer, very progressive-minded trainer of CEOs and business people. And uh, we call it Finding Yourself in Paradise. It's really a continuation of the programs we do here at the Mystery School. So check that out at FocusedPassion.com. There's an ED in there, by the way, FocusedPassion.com. All right? And get those free programs. In fact, there's a whole How to Learn five-part series, uh, How to Learn, that's available for free at FocusedPassion.com. You're going to want to check that out. Give it to your kids or people you know who have uh, uh, children in school or who may be students themselves. It's the how to learn stuff. And uh, Well, there's four programs, about 40 minutes each, um, and then a little brief intro, I think, eight or nine minute intro. That all, all of that's free, too, okay, at FocusedPassion.com. All right, let's get to our... Uh, our topic for the day today, which is awareness, and what I'm going to offer you is a model. Uh, again, it may not be the definitive model. It is certainly not the only model for looking at waking up, but it's the one I'm going to offer you today. See me in a year, I may have uh, a different one. So this is not carved in granite, but it occurs to me that there are three basic stages to the development of consciousness or to whether it's it's higher consciousness or expanded awareness um, there are technically some differences in philosophy between consciousness and awareness but I'm not going to get into it on that level I'm going to use those two terms synonymously Consciousness, as in higher consciousness or expanded awareness, um, it's basically seeing the bigger picture. There's more to it than that, but that's a good place to begin. A simple uh, definition or description, more a description than a definition, of what we mean by awareness and consciousness is the whole enchilada. The, a German would say gestalt to get the big picture, to take a step back and begin to look inclusively and harmoniously at concepts that initially are seen by most people because of their stress and anxiety levels 
only in terms of their differences. Okay? The more stressed and the more anxious we are, the more likely we are to look at life deductively, rationally. Not that there's anything wrong with that. It's just it's not enough in and of itself to only be deductive. There are other forms of logic. There is something called inductive logic, but um, I don't really even want to get into it because it's very abstract and difficult to explain. If somebody asked me about it, if you put a question on the web today, I'll, I'll explain it. But <clears throat> I'll just put it this way. Suffice to say, about 95 to 98% of our logical thinking is deductive in nature, which is general to specific. Those of you who are note takers, write that down. General to specific. In other words, logic by its very nature, deductive logic, is a deducing or subtracting process of taking something apart to try to understand it. Like if a watch doesn't work, or the car doesn't work, or your computer is not working, you want to take it apart, right? You want to, if not literally or mechanically, take something apart. In your mind, you take it apart. You break it down into little pieces to understand. Well, that's not the only kind of understanding there is. But that's the only kind of understanding that most people rely on. In fact, we have a real significant percentage of our population that doesn't even do that. That's not even logical or even reasonable. They just believe whatever they believe for whatever reason. In fact, I have a little quotation on that I want to read later today here. Let me get this, this Emerson quote. I want to read you a little something about Ralph Waldo Emerson, um, about those uh, those people that just sort of assume, well, what Emerson calls repose, which is the safety of being just like your parents. Uh, there were Republicans, you'll be Republican. If they were Catholic, you'll be a Catholic. If if uh, you know they were civil rights activists, it's likely you'll be sensitive to this, the same kinds of things. So um, there is inductive logic, uh, uh, as I said before, I think a better way of even talking about the alternative or the complement to deductive logic is creativity or intuitive uh, understanding expanding our topic for today, expanding awareness to zoom out, to get the bigger picture, to go in the other direction from specific to general. So if logic and reasoning is essentially deductive, general to specific, take it apart, then we need some put together specific to general thinking. Hey, Michael, how do I take a step back and see the bigger picture. By the way, this is a central component in our How to Learn program that I was just talking about at our allied site, our sister site, FocusedPassion.com, the premium audio program, Finding Yourself in Paradise. 
starts with a trial subscription of six programs, and four of them are this Family Learning Hour, an accelerated learning how to learn program. And and we talk about that. We talk about um, the idea of of getting a gestalt, of promoting an awareness of the bigger picture to see not only the parts and the bits and the details, but to be able to see the overarching concept. It's one of the primary learning skills that you need at the college level. It'd be, it'd be great if you had it in high school and junior high and even grade school, but it's essential at the college level or university level to go beyond simply reading the details and the specifics. You have to be able to assemble that into some sort of model or paradigm, some larger overarching umbrella you know, of understanding, conceptual understanding. And we're not taught how to do that. I'm going to teach you today how to do it. <laughs> and that's why one of the reasons I want you to forward these programs. But uh, most people don't know how to do that. They only know how to break it down and look at all the differences, right, and why things are wrong and why they don't work. But to take a step back and look more harmoniously at what things have in common and how they work together and the bigger picture, the symbiosis of nature, for example, escapes many people. They can take it apart. They can see the fox eating the rabbit or the hawk sweeping down to grab the field mouse or the little fish being eaten by the bigger fish that gets eaten by the even bigger fish, but they don't see the harmony in it. They don't... They don't have the ability on demand to step back and see the bigger picture and how it all works together as this one ecosystem, uh, this one singular, beautiful, harmonious life support system that, you know, well, in the simplest sense, you know, the, the plant kingdom generates the oxygen and consumes carbon dioxide and, and we consume oxygen and release carbon dioxide, produce carbon dioxide. So we have animals and humans, this wonderful relationship with the plant kingdom, um, which is why one of the best things we can do for global warming is plant more trees and, and more green things. Um, but I don't want to go off onto a tangent here. I want to emphasize that we need to supplement logic, and it's deductive, general to specific nature, with an ability to go the other way, specific to general, and to see the overarching gestalt, the bigger concept, the whole enchilada. That is essentially the on-ramp to consciousness, that and having choices, the idea that you have choices. Moving from victim, life is done to me, to choices, wait a minute, life is what I do with what's done to me, would be uh, another aspect of expanding your awareness of waking up. So I'll say that as an introduction as we move into the idea that there's three stages of waking up. And you know, 
this whole idea of awareness, there's a great story in Buddhism. You've probably heard me tell it before, or you've heard others tell it. Um, it's about Siddhartha after he receives his enlightenment and has become aware of his Buddha nature, uh, walking through the woods, approaching a small village in India. And uh, as he comes upon the village, his presence, his um, charisma, so to speak, his, his bearing or countenance, his aura, uh, however you want to say it, is so impressive that people are like blown away and many of them fall to the ground as if they're in the presence of uh, a god of some sort and so somebody shouts out are you god and buddha said no no i'm i'm not god and somebody else shouts out and says well certainly you're a great priest a, a sage a, 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 a holy man of some sort and <clears throat> Buddha says, no, I, I, I don't represent a religion. It's not about religion. I, I don't come to you as a, as a religious person at all. And uh, it's not about, I'm not interested in worship and salvation and all of that. And so finally somebody says, well, <clears throat> if you're not God and you're not a priest, who are you? That you carry this much light with you. And Buddha said, I am awake. That was it. I am awake. So I put it to you. When you woke up this morning, I bet initially you were a little groggy. Unless uh, you were startled awake, you know, if there was a loud noise, a clap of thunder, or a, God forbid, a car crash out in front of your house, you know. You might wake up real fast with a rush of adrenaline, but most of us wake up, we're a little groggy at first, and we stumble into the bathroom, and we grope around trying to get the teapot on and, or, or, or get the coffee made, and in a few minutes, you begin to come too. You come round, so to speak, and it's usually stress and anxiety it's confusion and things unknown in your life that begin to stimulate us. And very quickly we become overstimulated. Before, my argument here, is before you fully wake up, you're already overstimulated. And I don't just mean by the tea or the coffee, uh, the newspaper, the morning news, and thinking about going to work and what you have to do at work. And how you get, how are you going to keep all these plates spinning in your life? Your to-do list comes to mind, and you start sorting out your day and maybe making notes, or you break out your calendar and you start scheduling things because the vast majority of us, almost all of us, are overworked. We're overstressed. We're overstimulated, but we're we're addicted to it. Some would say we have to do it to keep our heads above water, to make enough money to pay the bills, but I'm not sure that's true. And for 50, 60 years, we've talked about the rat race or the hamster wheel that so many of us feel that we're on. Well, 
it creates a trance and not a, a good trance like an awareness that we're talking about but the kind of trance that you're in uh, when you're watching television for example uh, where you space out um, and we go from not quite awake in the morning to overstimulated and my argument is we don't wake up also most of us have been raised by people that are not enlightened or aware and so they don't know the warning signs of being unawake and they're not teaching us how to wake up religion in the west the three primary monotheistic religions of the west all of which can be traced to a single father abraham jews christians catholics and protestants protestants and of course islam uh, all see religion as a matter of salvation, not a matter of waking up, but of redeeming or saving or um, atoning for one's inherent badness and defects. For although we are made in the image of the Creator, supposedly, there has been a fall whether it's uh, seen as Adam and Eve, all three religions know that story and believe in that story, or that's understood more as an allegory for what happens to consciousness or awareness when we incarnate, when we are separated from our source. And feeling separated, we become fearful. Alienation is scary. And so... That fear leads to ignorance, which leads to more fear, which leads to more ignorance and more fear and more ignorance, and that's the human dilemma in a nutshell. How do we break out of that vicious cycle of fear and ignorance and begin to promote an expansion of awareness, a development of higher consciousness is what we're about today, and that's is essentially done in three ways, study, meditation, and mindfulness. There are three stages to this, but there's also three parts to moving through those three stages. You've got to study. You've got to listen to programs like this. You've got to buy the right books. You've got to go to the, for my L.A. people, go to the Bodhi Tree and the Alexandria Bookstore and, and the Psychic Eye and Subscribe to good inspirational magazines and check out websites and uh, blogs that are about personal empowerment. I think the key words are personal empowerment, personal and spiritual development, self-help, and self-improvement. Bookstores talk about self-help and self-improvement, but it's personal and spiritual development or personal empowerment or human potential. In the 60s, we would talk about the birth of the human potential movement. So study. Secondly, meditate. And we're going to, every week, talk about different forms of meditation. We'll do a guided imagery exercise at the end of this class today. And finally, mindfulness, which is really... Uh, 
not only the third technique for developing uh, one's awareness, but the third stage of, uh, that I'm going to describe uh, today. So um, without getting too far ahead of myself, let's talk about these uh, three stages of development, so-called. I want to share this. I mentioned this uh, Emerson quote, and I want to share this with you before I go any farther. Let me find my my glasses. Because what I'm suggesting here that we develop ourselves, that we empower ourselves, that we seek to understand and refine our potential as human beings. It's something that takes a lot of courage, and uh, a lot of people don't want anything to do with it. So I want to read you a short paragraph by Ralph Waldo Emerson, who I greatly admire, as did Henry David Thoreau. Emerson was, of course, Thoreau's teacher in so many ways. Um, an American transcendentalist like Walt Whitman and Thoreau and John Muir and the uh, the inner person, the 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 landscape that these transcendentalists in uh, the 19th century in America wanted to develop. They're also part of what's known as the New Thought Movement, the New Age Movement, a uh, hundred years ago and more. Um, the landscape that they wanted to develop was not out in the world. It was not cutting down trees and um, clear-cutting forests and strip-mining mountaintops. That's, that's not what developing America was about to these early 19th century transcendentalists. But as the word transcendental would suggest, to develop an interior landscape and an inner frontier to develop your sense of who you are. But they knew, too, that that required courage. And Emerson here describes this as a longing for truth. The, um, the Russian mystic H.P. Blavatsky, who founded the Theosophical Society, largely out of the New Thought and American Transcendentalist movement, is known for having written once, there is no religion higher than truth. I mean, what good is religion if you don't want to know the truth? And the truth is inside you, not outside of you. And it's perceived with interior sense and sensation, not external truth. Right? And so let me read you what he says here. I find this inspirational. I hope you will too. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, God offers to every mind its choice between truth and repose. Take what you please, you can never have both. Between these, as a pendulum, man oscillates. He in whom the love of repose predominates will accept the first creed, the first philosophy, the first political party that he meets, most likely his father's. He gets rest, commodity, and reputation, but he shuts the door of truth. 
he in whom the love of truth predominates will keep himself aloof from all the moorings and afloat. He will abstain from dogmatism and recognize all the opposite negations between which, as walls, his being is swung. He submits to the inconvenience of suspense and imperfect opinion, but he is a candidate for truth, as the other is not, and respects the highest law of his being. To be awake is to know the truth. To seek the truth requires that we wake up. That in the morning, when you awaken, you realize that you've been, because of our addiction to stress and to adrenaline, fear after all feels very exciting, right? We never really wake up. We go from first awake, drowsy, to stressed and overstimulated, and never really wake up. Now, some of us have had little epiphanies in our lives, periods or moments where we enjoyed an aha experience, and uh, often life-changing realization has come into your awareness, usually as a form of light, um, truth, awareness of truth, the development of consciousness often comes as light, either a dawning, like the sun coming up slowly, a dawning, wait a minute, I'm starting to get it, over, it might take days or months or years for the dawn to come. And for you to realize what it is about yourself, not the world around you, that longs to be realized. Or it could be a light bulb that just pops on one day as if, uh, you know, groping around in a dark place trying to find something and then you find a light bulb and you turn it on and you immediately see what had been there all along. You just hadn't seen it for the light for the lack of light, and now, aha, there it is, you know, the light bulb pops on. Ford has a better idea, you know, that logo, that archetype. And sometimes we're thunderstruck. But whether it's the dawning, slow dawning of a new idea, a light bulb popping on with a new idea, or being completely thunderstruck, lightning struck by an epiphany that, as Rudolf Steiner said, not only illumines the landscape, but changes the interior landscape forevermore. Your life has changed now. You'll never look at life the same way. You know, Buddha said, if you could see the truth in the center of a flower, it would change your life forevermore. Now, to respond to that by saying, well, what in the world does that mean? How could I... How could my life be changed by understanding a flower? Well, to attempt to do that in normal consciousness is uh, almost to ensure your failure. We have to alter consciousness. We have to use altered states of expanded awareness. We have to alter our state 
to expand our awareness. Normal consciousness is very narrow. And that's the problem that we have. You see? Again, most people aren't thinking at all. Those that are reasonable are only thinking in deductive, general to specific ways. It's usually the mystic and the artist uh, that are those people that are able to see the bigger picture or the gestalt and um, the connection of things and also to see that they have choices and they're not victims, those two elements, okay? The on-ramp to developing consciousness. I have choices. Life is not just done to me. And I see the bigger picture. I see the harmony where other people see only conflict. All right. We've talked about study, the need to meditate, and mindfulness, which is sort of carrying that awareness into your waking state. Let's define the three stages now. Then we'll go to your questions and your comments. And for those listening live today on the web, call your attention to the bottom of the page where you can put in a question or a comment now or later. I take them on in the order they come, so you might need to respond to it. The sooner the better. Put a question or a comment in there and your name and your city. Just your first name if you want. Let me know where you are. That's That's always cool. And we'll go to those questions in a few minutes, and then we'll also do a guided imagery um, before we wrap it up at uh, the 30 mark. So we're coming up to the just about the halfway point here. All right. Again, these three stages, um, this is my model. This is my paradigm. It's not carved in granite. I think the first stage of expanding awareness, or of being aware, the first stage of awareness, is the widely accepted common world view that you exist as a separated being in a world of separated form, motivated primarily by fear. All right? That's where most people are. Maslow's hierarchy, for those of you who had a little bit of psychology in high school or college, <coughs> Maslow's hierarchy addresses this first stage and normal consciousness right on up through self-actualization. But it starts with survival. Our hierarchy of needs, first of all, is survive, just survive. Do I have oxygen? Can I breathe? Do I have water? Do I have shelter and clothing? And do I have food? Um, this is about as basic as it gets. And yet, for the vast majority of human beings, as we enter this third millennium, so-called, this 21st century, so-called, uh, that's as far as any of them have gotten which is a level of consciousness that says, I am a separated being in a world of separated forms motivated by fear, stress, anxiety, apprehension, nervousness, whatever you want to call it. For most people, I read the other day, 85% of business people, even business people, 85% do not set goals. 
Well, what are they doing if they're not setting goals? Instead, they're avoiding what they don't want. Goal setting for most people is just avoiding the negative. You see? It's not dreaming. It's not goal setting. It's not creating a strategy or a plan to move toward the goal. We're so heavily invested in being victims or targets as if to rationalize our helplessness. And I'm not being contemptuous of the human race at all. I love humanity. That's why I feel so strongly about doing these programs week after week after week for free. Because each and every individual has extraordinary potential within them. And they look outside of them to accumulate other forms, other objects, stuff, material goods, and are willing to make this Faustian bargain for material comfort, the repose that Emerson was talking about. And so if my father is a Republican and a Protestant, and he believed in capital punishment but opposed abortion, and he thought war was necessary, I'm probably going to think just like that. Okay. Or if there is a reaction, it's to the other pole. Uh, my father was a conservative, so I'm a liberal, but my kids will be conservatives. Well, that, that's, you know... A, the pendulum oscillating again, it's not really all that different because we're still living as as if we perceive ourselves only as separated beings in separated bodies in a world where everything is separated from everything else. An object-oriented world, a world of objectivity, you see. Look at that over there and that over there. And even when you're emotionally worked up, you try to understand the person that made you feel that way instead of yourself. <laughs> we are so obsessed with other people's lives. Uh, television has become so-called reality. Of course, there's nothing real about reality TV. It's all phony, but ginned up and acted out. But we call it reality TV, right? We're into the survival mode now. Who's going to get kicked off the island? Who's going to survive? And, you know, it's so negative and so nihilistic and so destructive and decadent. It's pathetic. It really is. And yet that is the dilemma for the materialist, for the person that sees themselves as matter as a body, not as consciousness or awareness. And so they're not awake. They may wake up in the morning, but they jump right into high stress. They're confused by their stress, which causes more stress and more confusion, more fear and more ignorance, that vicious cycle I talk about. And they never really wake up to the fact that you and I and everyone else are more than a separated being inhabiting a separated body. Your body is an instrument or a vehicle that you play through. It's like a vehicle that you get around in. 
You need a body to move around in a physical world. It's an instrument, like you might play the piano or play the guitar, and initially you play upon the piano and you play upon the guitar, but as you become more skilled, you play through the piano. You express yourself through the musical instrument. And that's already a shift in consciousness, isn't it? It's an expanded awareness that the music you're expressing is coming from within you. Well, the whole life you're expressing is coming from within you rather than, oh, I need a job. Where's the newspaper? Let me look in the want ads. Let me get over to monster.com. I'll post my resume. Excuse me, I have to get over to the job board over here looking outside for solutions. And who's looking within? Not the vast majority of our friends and neighbors in this first stage of human development, the separated being, in a separated form, living in a world of separated forms, motivated by fear, a victim, a target, an effect of a life that is done to you rather than comes from you. That's stage number one. And that's where virtually everybody is. Stage number two in the model I'm offering you today, a quantum leap in expanded awareness. Are you ready? Drum roll, trumpet fanfare, note takers, have your pens ready. <laughs> it's Stage number two is waking up to the understanding that you are responsible, that you have choices. And the place to begin to be responsible is not really responsible for your behavior, though you are, and your speech, though you are, and not even to be responsible for your thoughts, although of course you are. Most people know that part. And they are, to varying degrees, responsible for what they think and what they say and what they do. The challenging part in stage two, to move from number one to number two, is to be responsible for your emotional nature. Responsible for managing emotional turmoil in your life. Turning around this element of the first stage, that you are a victim, a target, or an effect of life, and saying, well, there are times that life seems to be done to me. The truth of my life, capital T truth, is that it is emanating from me. And that the behavior that most people see as a reaction or a response, you will begin to see as a choice that you initiate. Okay? Nobody can make you do anything. Right? Waterboarding doesn't work. Somebody could put a gun to your head. Tell them what they want to hear. Lie. They can't make you do anything. They could kill you, but nobody can force you to do anything, 
right? That's why torture doesn't work. People just lie. So they never, you know, it didn't work in the Spanish Inquisition, and uh, it doesn't work now. So I find it interesting that people are talking about waterboarding the uh, the, the guy that shot the guard at the Holocaust Museum or the guy that is charged with killing the abortion doctor. They're terrorists. Maybe Dick Cheney should waterboard them, right? But there are terrorists. They're American terrorists. They're homegrown terrorists. So we're not going to waterboard them. We only waterboard people of color, right? I think that's what that comes down to. If you're a if you're a Nazi white supremacist, you don't get waterboarded. But you could be Chinese or Arabian or or have any any color in your skin whatsoever, then you're a candidate for being waterboarded. But that's an aside. The idea of being responsible for your emotional feelings is the second stage. It is nothing short of a breakthrough in the development of consciousness or expanding your awareness to understand that emotions are evoked from you, not done to you. This is so huge. It's so incredibly big that even after you know it, you will be challenged to apply it in your life. Because the nature of emotions is to make you feel stressed and endangered. And then you go back into the trance, lower consciousness prevails, you're a separated being now in a separated form, you've forgotten the second stage, and you're living in a world of separated forms motivated by your fears and your stresses, and you're playing a victim to your feelings again, until hopefully somebody in your circle of friends maybe your spouse, one of your kids or parents, somebody in your family says, wait a minute, didn't you say that you'd made a breakthrough, that you had come to understand that your feelings are your feelings, that they can be stimulated by other people, but the quality of the emotion is evoked from you and, and about you. It reveal. I mean, emotions are the essence of subjectivity. You can think like other people, and your thoughts can be right or wrong, but you only feel like yourself. It's the name of a program that I do called Feeling Like Yourself. It's a 10-part training. I still do it over the phone here from Hawaii, uh, uh, 8 to 10 session training called Feeling Like Yourself, the fly program. Learn to fly. Learn to feel like yourself. That means you have to take ownership of the feeling. That he made me mad tells you nothing about him. If somebody, you know, who was the ice skater that that, that hired a guy to hit the other ice skater in the knee with the with the hammer, you know, the pain, Nancy Kerrigan, the pain that she felt in her knee said nothing about uh Tanya Harding. <laughs> or the guy she hired, or the hammer that he used. The pain, though it was done to her, was about her injury. And our emotional pain, though done to us seemingly, by what other people say and do, reveals our inner hurt. 
and our damage and our need to be healed. You see, not necessarily a bad thing if we would but take ownership of the emotion as a symptom of our need for healing. In the same way, we've learned in childhood to take responsibility for the pain. Fell down, skinned your knee. What what, what is that going to tell you about the nature of the sidewalk? Right? The pain is about the knee. Let's take a look at it. Let's get this wound cleaned. Let's put an antibiotic on there and a nice Band-Aid over it and let Mommy kiss the boo-boo. That's your pain. It's about you. If but only you knew that. And most people in this conference call, this webinar, do. But most of your neighbors don't. And even though some have been exposed to this, they quickly forget it. This is stage two in my model of developing awareness, is to recognize and to get better and better and better and better at reducing the amount of time that it takes for you to remember this emotional hurt is about me. It is evoked from me. It is about me, not the person that made me feel this way or the group or the event that caused this emotional hurt. To seek that level of truth is to awaken to the second stage in my three steps, my three stages of the development of awareness or expanding consciousness. Okay. And then the third has got to be mindfulness. And you don't get to number three without number two. As surely as nobody gets to two or three without number one, we have to spend some time of our lives in stage one, thinking we are separate, alienated, and alone, which comes out of confusion and causes more stress and more confusion and more stress. The problem that supports every problem is your confusion and your stress and anxiety. All of it born from the fact that we feel that we've been ripped away and separated from our source, or somehow born, if you will, if not incarnated, into these remote bodies. And everything's remote. Even Western religion sees God as being very, very far away in a separate body, in a world of separated forms. And every once in a while you hear a, a, a Christian or a Muslim or a Jew say, well, God is everywhere. Well, but if God is in a separate body as Jesus or as the Father aspect of God, that just means he's very fast and he has very good hearing and he has x-ray vision. And now you've turned God into Superman, you know, changing his outfit in the in the phone booth or something, but still a separated being in a separated form. When the mystic, I like the Sufi saying, God is closer than your breath. God is closer to you than your breath. For there is no separation ultimately. And this is stage three. To be mindful 
that your thoughts and your emotions are also separated forms. Okay? Now, this is radical. This is a major leap for most people because we we believe that we're generating our thoughts and our feelings consciously. Now, we are responsible, obviously, but maybe the process is not that we're generating thoughts and feelings so much as magnetically attracting them by the frequency of the awareness or the consciousness that we carry. Just as finding the right note on the piano causes the snare drum over in the corner to vibrate all by itself. Or, you know, the story of Ella Fitzgerald hitting the high note and the wine glass shatters. Sympathetic oscillation, sympathetic vibration. This is the essence of magic. This is how Christ changed water to wine. This is how you heal the sick. You see, love as consciousness. Love as truth as consciousness, as awareness, has frequency. It has vibration. And so your thoughts have vibration and exist as forms. Thought form is a word very much like belief system. A thought form is just a form. It's an object. Just like, excuse me, would you hand me my keys? Would, would, here, would, I'm going to hand you this book. You know, passing back and forth these objects, these items as they are forms. We do the same thing with our belief systems, our thought forms. And most of them are illogical, many of them are illogical and unreasonable. Capital punishment, one of my favorites. War. Um, Let's just stay with that. Capital punishment. I'm going to kill you to prove that killing is wrong. There's never been a study, not a single solitary academic study, that shows capital punishment to be a deterrent, right? And the hypocrisy, the lunacy of saying the state is going to kill you to demonstrate how wrong killing is. Oh, if only they'd gone into the military, they would have got a uniform, and then they get badges and awards for killing people they've never met. Why does this persist? I mean, I can understand it, you know, 5,000 years ago, but why would it persist? in an age of so-called enlightenment. It exists because these are forms, these are patterns of thinking that are rooted in fear and ignorance. And so people don't want to know the truth. They want to react to their fear. Right? 9-12, I want to kill somebody. I want to kill somebody, I don't care who. It's just like swatting a mosquito. Right? 
you react, you swat the mosquito immediately. You don't make a choice to swat the mosquito. That was this country under Bush and Cheney. And those guys stretched it out for eight years. Matter of opportunity, great opportunity. Bush talked about the opportunity available to a president in war. So they declare a war on a tactic, a war on terror, rather than a war on the nation. So it will never end a global war, a perpetual war, a war of fear to eliminate fear, a war of hate to eliminate hate. This is insane. And yet he got voted in again four years later. More war, more hatred, more terror, more waterboarding. That's how we'll show the world how right we are. This is insanity. Why does it persist? Because people aren't generating these thoughts. It's their fear, the vibration, the particular frequency that is attracting the form. Mindfulness is to see that. Mindfulness begins with watching the thought without being driven by the thought. Watching the emotional nature without being an effect or a victim of your emotional nature. Simply witnessing that these thoughts are going through your head and these feelings are coursing through your body. <coughs> In the same way you could go to the mall and people watch. Watch these separated people, these separated forms walking by you. You can become mindful, detached and mindful of your own interior processes. This is stage three in the development of awareness. You become mindfully aware that you think you can apply your thoughts, but even when your thoughts are not applied and you sit back, your mind has a mind of its own and it's still going to generate a stream of consciousness, a train of thoughts, But you're not the stream, you're not the train, you're not the thinker. You just think you are. You can climb out of the stream, up onto the bank, and watch the river flow. Watch the thought stream go by. Stand on the side of the train track and watch the train of thoughts go by. And choose which thoughts to empower. What an incredible breakthrough in awareness in the search for truth, an appropriate response to the longing inside each of us to know who we are and what we're for, to take a step back. This is the adult grown-up version of what your parents put you through when they said, Oh, great, because your friend did it, you did it. So if your friend jumped off a pier and told you to do it, you'd do the same thing. I mean, you know, <laughs> didn't we all hear that? Well, that's what, you know, most of us are doing. We're, we're hypocritical in that. We can give that advice, but we're still following the leader, right? We still do what we're told to do. Hey, buy this big expensive car, you can't afford it, it's not very gas efficient, doesn't really ride very well, 
but uh, everybody else has one, so you better get one. Fashions, my God, fashions, design. You've got to have a Louis Vuitton bag or a Coco Chanel purse or a no, you don't. You don't have to pay five hundred or five thousand dollars for a bag to carry your wallet in to create an appearance. You see, now you can say, well, if that's what people want to do, well, I won't even get into the argument. I don't think they're making choices. I think in this first stage, it's all action, reaction, stimulus, response. It's all reflux. There's very little thinking involved. Stage two, to take responsibility for your behavior, for your speech, and for your thoughts. Great. Now, can we go the rest of the way and take total responsibility for your emotional nature, to manage your emotion, to discern the meaning of your feeling, even if it was stimulated by another person? Stage two. And then stage three, to be mindfully aware, to be detached enough to step back and say, I am not simply my thoughts and feelings. I can choose how I feel. I can change my behavior and change my mind. And yes, I can change my feelings too. Today I'm depressed and lonely and afraid. Michael, are you saying I can change that? Yeah. How? Already said. Study, meditation, mindfulness to move through these three stages of the separated being motivated by fear. Stage two, aware that your emotions are evoked from you and the essence of subjectivity, an entree to really know thyself. And now step three, to be mindfully aware that you are really not the thought or the feeling. It's not about being a, a, a positive thinker who feels good. It's about taking a step back and seeing all of your thoughts and feelings as passing by. And you don't have to pick them all up. And if you do pick one up, you don't have to hold on to it. In fact, if it was truth, you wouldn't have to hold on to anything because truth is everywhere equally present. Any more than a fish has to hold on to water. You don't have to hold on to truth. You don't have to hold on to love. You don't have to hold on to consciousness. You don't even really aspire to it, for you've already got it. It's a matter of allowing yourself to see. Three stages of consciousness. Let's check the board here and uh, see what folks have submitted in the way of questions. Hold on a second here. I've got telephone wire and the mouse wire a little tangled up. Let me untangle this. All right, good. Let's say hi to a few folks, and uh, then we'll do our visualization process and install a little bit of what we're learning here today. Again, if you're live on the uh, on the Internet, on the web with us today, it's June 14, 2009. Uh, you can use the little box at the bottom of the page to enter your question or your comment, include your name, and hit the submit button. I won't see it if you don't hit the submit button. In the
Marianne Lahabra, Carol Pastel is with us. She says uh, hello again, Michael, and hello to Doreen. Thank you, Carol, as always. Appreciate hearing from you. From Tucson, Arizona, Lorelai is with us today. She says, hi, Michael. Thanks for all you do. The hamster wheel, Lorelai says, the hamster wheel is not a good place to be. Becoming aware that one needs to get off the wheel, but not knowing how to do it, is scary enough to keep us on and rob us of our true selves. And then she says, say hi to Doreen, so I'll do that for sure. Yeah, how do I get off that wheel? You know, what is scary about it? Well, it's new. That's one of the ironies of stress management. Excuse me, stress management is that anything new is unknown and therefore confusing and stressful. And we've got years and years of of studies, countless studies, that show good change is as stressful as bad change. In other words, a new baby in the family is every bit as stressful as grandpa dropping over dead. Right? A new job, a promotion, is just as stressful as being fired or demoted. You may say, no, I don't think so. <laughs> you know, then a new house is just as scary, moving into a new house or taking a risk to sign the dotted line on a, on a 30-year mortgage. That's every bit as scary as getting foreclosed on. Uh, the studies are there. It's the change, it's the newness of things that makes them stressful, not whether they're positive or negative. So any improvement in your life is going to be two steps forward and one step back because even if your life is getting better, it's new and it's going to add a little stress and take a little bit, uh, uh, a little bit of time to get used to not being on the hamster wheel. Right? Just letting that hamster wheel sit idly over in the corner of the cage and reassess. Right? Maybe you get on a different hamster wheel doing something that you love to do. Maybe it's just a matter of slowing down the hamster wheel. Right? All depends on how you look at it. But to have the awareness, the responsibility to choose, I think that's what it's about, to really make the choice. And I have a lot of respect for people that do that, that make major life choices, that sit down, set goals, make plans, and do it. You know, a couple, it's been, it's been a year and a half since Doreen and I moved to Hawaii, you might think that's a no-brainer, that anybody with an opportunity to move here would do it. Not true. In fact, most of the people that move here move back because they didn't think about it. They didn't plan. Right? And so, even though this is a beautiful place to live, and a lot of people would like to live here, um, to, to pull the plug, to pack up all your stuff and put it in a crate, to float it, 2,500 miles out into the middle of the ocean, it was, it was very stressful for us, even though it was exciting at the same time. 
And do we not have a hamster wheel here? We have a we have our own hamster wheel. It just I would say it just moves a lot slower <laughs> than the hamster wheel that we were on in L.A. Speaking of which, just out uh, uh, just down the road a piece in Honolulu, over on the uh, island of Oahu. Uh, Bert's with us today. Hello, Bert. He says, hi, Michael. Hope you and Doreen are doing well. Keep up the good work. Aloha. Hello, Bert. Nice to hear from you. And Bert did the same thing. I knew Bert in L.A. He said, I'm going to Honolulu. I said, I'll see you when we get there. So, Robert Fiegel in Irvine, California says, Aloha, Michael. When I am in a deep dream state and aware that I am dreaming, I try touching and feeling objects and things and realize they are just as real in this state as they are in the awake state. It would seem all is really a dream state in reality and is manifesting from us and our thoughts and beliefs. We truly are the creator of our own reality. Excellent class as always, and have a magical week. Well, bingo! Robert, that's a beautiful insight. You know, you wake up, it's just just as he said, you wake up from a dream. Imagine being a little kid. You wake up for, from a scary dream or a nightmare, and your mother assures you, oh, it was just a dream. And you protest, you say, well, it sure seemed real, seemed real enough. I mean, I'm still, I still have the emotion connected to it. I still remember it as if it, was real. What's the difference? Robert's right. There's not much difference. It's just one channel or the other. That's why lucid dreaming is so far out. To be, as Robert's suggesting here, to be aware of the dream while you're dreaming it, to have choice in the dream, is to say, well, maybe I'm dreaming. Maybe I'm not the dream. Maybe what I call physical dense reality is being assembled inside my brain based on physical sense and sensation. That the object I touch, I reach for, not because I see the object, I only see with my eyes light bouncing off the object. When I reach out to touch the object, It seems solid enough, but I know that it's simply a dance of tiny little particles, mostly empty space, but held together by various forces, centrifugal magnetic gravitational forces, that give it the appearance of something solid and permanent and unchanging. And yet, you know, it could be the strongest steel or titanium And yet it's a dance of tiny particles that seems real enough, but it's a dream. To awaken to the dream, to awaken that it's all a dream, and to do that here and now, why wait till you die? Why wait till you die? If you can learn to do that now, to be that aware, with study, with meditation, and mindfulness. Uh, let's see, let me refresh, uh, another Robert in Irvine, this is, uh, my ham radio friend, uh, Robert, KW6B, hello Robert, he says, do you want to take the red pill or the blue pill? <laughs> yeah, from the Matrix, 
Emerson was very insightful. Uh, Robert's referring to the little paragraph I read about truth and repose. Thank you, Michael, for another great discussion. And thank you, Robert, in 73. In England, Jacob Barton is with us. I know Jacob from Facebook. I didn't know you were in England, though. Nice to hear from you, Jacob. He says, greetings from England, uh, Michael, Jacob. And that's three weeks in a row. We had Ginger on last week and the week before from uh, Arendelle, south of London. And now Jacob somewhere in the British Isles. So cool on the Internet. And in Apple Valley, another one of Southern California's more romantic locations. Uh, Don is with us, and he says, thank you, Michael, and good morning or good afternoon, Don. Thanks for being with us from Apple Valley up by Victorville. Cowboy country. All right, you guys, we just have uh, about ten minutes left, so let's do a little guided imagery exercise. And, again, thanks for being here. Close your eyes. Get comfortable. Provided this is a good time for you. Obviously, if you're driving a car, you might want to keep one eye open or crack. No, I'm only kidding. Uh, <laughs> if you're listening on the phone, uh, get a comfortable in a comfortable place if you can. And uh, for those of you on replay, well, you got a pause button. So get comfortable. Uh, sit straight, but not rigid. Be relaxed and balanced and create and sense a feeling of letting go a feeling of relaxation as if feeling very very safe in your body as you close your eyes and take a nice slow deep breath inhaling through the nose fill your lungs hold as you peak and exhale as slowly as you can if you're tense Maybe only four or five seconds. Inhale, again, as slowly as you can. If you're a meditator, maybe eight or ten seconds to inhale. Eight or ten seconds to exhale. But don't be surprised if three or four seconds is about as long as you can stand it because you're just so stressed out. You have so much tension in your body. As you become more and more relaxed, you'll find yourself with these initial slow, deep breaths, able to breathe more slowly, more easily. And then after a few of those, two, three, four slow, deep breaths, let your body breathe itself. Turn it over to autopilot. And just feel yourself softening all the way to the very center of your being as if not only the muscles in your body but the organs in your rib cage and even the skeleton at the core of your being is relaxed and safe. As you begin to visualize in your mind's eye and my voice will guide you here. So let go and visualize a beautiful place of perfect peace, a garden, a paradise, a nature scene, a place you've been that you remember or a place entirely from your imagination, maybe a combination of the two. The same place you always go when we do these exercises or maybe somewhere new and different. But be outdoors. Be in nature. 
Imagine sunny, warm meadows where the temperature is just right, and cool, shady places, and even dark, forested, cooler, damper places, and you find yourself wherever you wish to be, in the shaded forest, the, sh the, the sunny meadow, sitting upon the earth, find the spot and sit down, maybe next to a little stream or a lake. And as you sit, feel connected to the earth. Plugged in, grounded, as if, you know, like a tree, you could feel your roots in the earth. And the feeling you're making that up is exactly right. And just take a moment to review the three ideas presented here today. That what most of us have thought for most of our lives is but the first of three stages of awareness. The idea that we're separated, alienated, alone, lonely, Isolated, always reaching out, always reaching out for understanding, reaching out for companionship, to hold a hand or get a hug, to try to belong to a group, or to be accepted, so lonely and alienated, so separated we feel, and so frightened as a result so stressed and nervous that the best we can do is reach out. Level two, understanding that I am not merely a target or a victim of life, that it's not really being done to me so much as coming out of me, coming from me. I'm, I'm assembling it in my brain. I don't see objects that I believe I see, merely light reflecting off them. And even all of my physical sense, uh, senses and, and sensations added together is but a sliver of, of all the frequencies and vibrations and oscillations in my environment that I am not sensitive to, that I am not aware of. So much going on, the universe shimmers and shines and dances all around me. But stage two primarily is realizing my emotions come from me. I always knew I could change my behavior. Sometimes that's hard. I can change the way I talk. That has its challenges. I've learned to change my mind. Sometimes that's not easy either. But to change how I feel by managing emotional turmoil, calming the emotional nature to find the wisdom, the truth in the emotion. This is big. This is huge. This is the second stage of expanding awareness. My life comes from me. My feelings, my emotional feelings are a language, a form of intelligence Nothing short of the essence of subjectivity. 
revealing who I really am as a unique individual, part of one thing, part of the all that is, but from a very unique point of view. And stage three, these thoughts that I have and these feelings that seem to be done to me, I can expand my awareness through study, through meditation, through contemplation, through simply watching my breath or watching my train of thoughts and looking at the gap between the thoughts and even expanding the gap between the thought and realizing I didn't die. For half a second, I didn't think before my mind went off in another direction. For half a second, maybe even a full 1,001, I didn't think, but I remained. I existed. I did not die. I am not my thoughts. I can learn to observe the train of thoughts and make better decisions about how to think, better decisions about what my feelings are saying about me. I can learn to accept the truth of who I am and what is happening around me. I'm not a victim or a target. I can choose to initiate. I can choose to do nothing but observe. But I have choices. I can learn from these thoughts. I can reject those thoughts as part of an old pattern. Appealing, yes but ultimately destructive. I drop those. I will no longer be distracted by the temptation to think in such ways. I am that I am. In form, but above and free of form, I am that I am. With an elevated perspective, looking down on the world that I used to be trapped in, and now from an elevated point of view I see the bigger picture it starts making sense I see harmony where before I saw only discord I'm beginning to see one thing where before I only saw conflict and adversity I'm beginning to see harmony and peace I'm beginning to honor the longing within for truth. I want to know the truth. And rather than settle for the false promise of accepting the world the way it appears to be and falling in line in lockstep with the vast majority of sleepwalkers, God love them, there will be no contempt of humanity here. Have compassion and love, for as you awaken, you can awaken others. For the promise of pursuing that longing for truth, of waking up with study, with meditation, reflection, and the mindful awareness as you open your eyes and move out into this world of form. that you are the witness 
You are the observer. You are the awareness. You exist as awareness. That's your identity, not your body, not your status, not how much money you have or what you own, but your point of view. And as it unfolds, that awareness, the point of view is elevated and becomes more inclusive and far-reaching, more harmonious. And there are rewards that go with that. Dedicate yourself to pursuing the longing in your heart as defined by you, not me or anybody else. Want to know the truth of things. Want to know the truth of yourself. Honor those emotional feelings as well as those thoughts to get to a third stage of mindfulness where you can calm the emotion, quiet the mind, and remain with an expanded awareness of the ever bigger picture, more love, more compassion, and more awareness of how to be effective in the world at passing that torch, at lifting the heat of adversity into light and then passing the light, lifting heat to light and then share the light. Dedicate yourself to that with a simple, silent promise and take a slow, deep breath now a breath of confirmation as you exhale, feel it becoming a part of you, committed only to your personal truth, which as it evolves and unfolds becomes universal truth. Honor the longing, honor the urge, and be the witness. I am that I am. In form, but above and free of form. And view your life from that elevated, more inclusive, more loving, expanded understanding, higher perspective. Study, meditation, and mindfulness. Bring this expanded awareness with you gently and effortlessly as you reorient yourself to the room around you, take one more slow, deep breath, fill your lungs, hold for a moment, and now as you exhale, uh, open your eyes, wide awake alert, back in the room, feeling fine, <laughs> rested and refreshed, and just a little more awake than you were even a few minutes ago. Hey, we're all out of time. Thanks so very, very much. If you like this program, I think you're really going to love Finding Yourself in Paradise. That's the premium audio show that Steve and I do together, studio quality, and uh, you can listen with a built-in player right on the website or send the program to your iTunes, to your 
RSS reader, FocusedPassion.com. We do have some techs working on the site this weekend, so if you encounter any problem, check it out in a few days. There was a little some some problem came up uh, Thursday and Friday that that we're working on over the weekend. So if you have any problem with the site in the next couple of days, don't worry about it. Uh, bookmark it. And remember the ED, FocusedPassion.com, for the premium audio series, Finding Yourself in Paradise with Steve and I. First six programs are free, trial subscription, and uh, you'll get the newsletter. You can also sign up for the newsletter on my website, theagelesswisdom.com. you got to have the T-H in there, the, the, the T-H-E, rather, the W's dot theagelesswisdom.com and on the splash page that comes up you'll see a place you can subscribe to the newsletter if uh, you're not getting the newsletter yet and you want to do that. Forward the newsletter to your friends and if you use the web teleconference link at the Ageless Wisdom to go inside, get the archive of all of these webinars the whole fly training program is in there, all of it's absolutely free on both sites, use the send one to a friend gadget. You can send the program, forward the program for free, as well as the newsletter. Help us out. Help your friends out. Be a networker. Bring together this kind of stuff, right, with the people that you know who are looking for this material. They're looking for power. They're looking for purpose. They're looking for meaning, right, without having to join some cult or or religion, or political movement, people that are inclined to take responsibility and look inside, make them aware of the process of developing awareness itself. As always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. From Maui, Hawaii, aloha. This is Michael Benner.